Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
got that sound for you. It feels good to be back. Got that smooth side, but a little edgy. Yeah, sure. A little bit of edge to it. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, you know, Jodeci came back, got a nice little album out, you know? Yes. Jodeci's back in the mix with a nice little album. Nice little joint. Man, they got a single that's hitting all over the radio. I heard I heard about two, three weeks back, immediately texted my man, PhD. Immediately yeah. texted him. Like, hey, this Jodeci joint is like, and it's like nice, classic Jodeci. It's not like Jodeci tried to do like some young boy stuff. No, they did Jodeci. So I like it. I like it. You get a chance to check that out. The, now, now my the, man, PhD. The Casey J. The Casey Jane White. The last time we saw him oh. in Deloitte, you know that man. He was yeah, he. man. He looked like Cornish hen. Yeah. <laughs> did the game wait for his album? <laughs> I haven't seen no pictures of video. I don't even. I don't even know where you show video. Where can you find a video in 2015? I guess YouTube. You know what I mean? I guess that's what the young kids do now. They go to YouTube. Um, I have to I have to go on YouTube and see what he looked like. I don't know. I haven't saw I haven't seen a video in a minute, man. Uh but my man PhD, he's locked in right now, uh, into this Cavs Bulls game five in full effect. Cleveland just went up three. PhD, how you holding up? Struggling over here, man. Um you know, uh <laughs> I gotta be honest with you guys, um it was kind of like you on that next to last date with your girlfriend, where you know you're about to end it, and she is uh, she's arguing, you know, arguing about something, and you just kind of giving her a look like you don't even know how close I was to not even being here tonight, uh, fellas. <laughs> I was I was at Game One of the Cleveland series against the Bulls, and they back in Cleveland tonight. Um, I, I was just getting ready to buy my tickets on flash seats. And I said, wait a minute, this is the week we have the show. Um, oh. So I was that close to not being here tonight. But I'm I'm happy to be here. Um, the Cavaliers tonight, if you listen to the podcast, it's 20 seconds left. They only up by a couple of points. They gave up a 17-point lead only eight minutes ago. So, ugh. Um, I'm riding heavy, man. I have not rolled this heavy with a team since the Pistons of 03-04. Or actually the Pistons of 04-05 when they lost the Spurs in the finals. Um, I am uh, I, I am all in with this team. I am all in. Yeah, that's a lovely thing, man. You know, you kind of adopt, you kind of adopted a new squad, and that's great. You know, I think I'm at that point with the Milwaukee Bucks. They got a nice core. You know, an interesting group of guys. I want to see how they go together. So I think I'm going to jump in, you know, before they get too hot and people call me a bandwagon jumper, you know what I mean? Get in get in at the ground floor, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm with you on that, man. I'm with you on that. Hopefully we can have some uh, some Bucks-Cavs series, you know, treat each other to some games some point in the near future. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Uh, so let's get into the rundown, fellas. We got a great show for the listeners out there. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio, brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions, On the Rocks in Rockford, Illinois, XL Academics, and Frederick's Accounting. All guests and hosts appear via the Frederick's Accounting Gateway. Frederick's Accounting is the official accountant of the Real Sports Guys. Hit them up and let them know that RSG sent you. All right. This portion of the show is known as the intro to let them know this will give you a quick rundown of everything we have in store with, for you tonight. This is our little contract to you. We will get to all of these things before our show ends. All right? 
We're going to go May Pack, Mayweather Pacquiao fight recap and react. We're going to hit you with some deflate gate penalty react. All right. Then we're going to hit you up with the Resistance Digital Solutions Dog of the Week. That's where the real sports guys will nominate someone who has their dog meter all the way up, someone who is a, performing at an extremely high level, and give them the award of Dog of the Week. We will also then dig into the NBA playoffs. We're going to go series by series and give you the real sports guys analysis of each playoff matchup, and then we'll hit you off with the XL Academics last word brought to you this week by the Game Changer. So that's what we have in store for you all tonight. So let's just jump right in, fellas. we got to get this thing going. Mayweather Pacquiao, biggest fight in boxing ever monetarily. Um, grossed over, I don't know, $500 million, something ridiculous like that. Um, we've been waiting on this fight for about five years. Uh, Mayweather and Pacquiao have been trying to get this arranged. Their camps have been trying to get this arranged. We finally got it to mixed reviews. Mayweather wins the fight on a decision. Fight goes 12 rounds. Um, you know, watching social media, the reaction of fans all over the Internet ranged from extremely disappointed to extremely annoyed um, at people's disappointment. You know what I mean? Um, I, I had people, you know, you, you kind of had two camps. You kind of had the people who said, this fight sucks, I want my money back. And then you had people who were like, if you're saying this fight sucks, you don't know anything about the sweet science of boxing, you know? So this was where the real sports guys come in. First off, how did you feel about the fight aesthetically? Um, and what were your expectations? Did the fight meet your expectations or not? PAC, let's start with you, bro. Yeah, the fight met my expectations. Uh, honestly, I'm a little irritated with the naysayers. Um, you know, this is this is no different than the, the two-week buildup for a Super Bowl. And... Like most Super Bowls, 60% of Super Bowls are decided by more than 10 points. <laughs> you know, over half of them are decided by more than uh, 17 points. So, you know, we walk away the next day and we shake our head, but the next year we saddle up again for the Super Bowl party. We saddle up again for, you know, buying the wings and doing all this and come into work the next morning hungover. You know, we do it every year. So in boxing, you know, unfortunately, we don't have mega fights like this that pull together the sports community, not the boxing community, the sports community. That's what this fight did. Um, I value that. I value that, you know, the place where I went to go watch the game, Harry Buffalo, they charged $40 to get in. Mm. And I got there at 7.30 and claimed the last seat like the last table in the whole restaurant. And that restaurant mm. probably holds 150, 200 people. Uh, so by the time my crew got there half an hour later, we had a table of six or eight or whatever it was. But, I mean, that shows how big this event was. And so I see value in that. Also, there there's a beauty in Mayweather, man. To me, this is the same, you know, the argument that people have against Mayweather not being exciting enough. You know, this is the same thing we criticize the Spurs about. You know, they're not exciting enough. They're not. You know what? They win. The goal is to score more points than the other team. That's what the Spurs have done more than any other team in the last 15 years in terms of winning championships. And, you know, Mayweather has done this better than 
arguably any fighter ever in terms of his record. Um, and, you know, in terms of pound to pound, he's one of the best ever as well. So, to me, I value greatness. I value what I'm seeing. I mean, I'm the same guy four or five years ago. You know, when people were criticizing LeBron, he couldn't get this done, he couldn't get that done. I'm like, let's value what he's doing so far early in his career. And so I just appreciate what the fight brought in terms of just the overall excitement. I mean, I was in the bar and, you know, like you'd expect a normal boxing fight for it to be 80 90% guys. You know, the place where I uh, watched the fight, it was 50-50 as far as, as, far as male and female. You know, I mean, you really brought in, you know, just like the Super Bowl does. The Super Bowl just does not bring in the hardcore football fans. The Super Bowl brings in, it's an event. You know, it's a sporting event, it's a social event, and so what if the icing did not, or if the if the cake did not live up to the height of the excellent icing? Got you. But that's that's also the the uh, other side of the sword, so to speak, right? Is that you have this major event and you have all these things around it, but then you get the uneducated eye who then is annoyed because the fight isn't like a slugfest. You see what I'm saying? So it's just, it, it probably would annoy me, you know, people who don't appreciate the Spurs or who will watch, say, the Grizzlies and the Warriors series and say, this is boring. Nobody's dunking. You know what I mean? I want to see them dunk. You know what I mean? It's like, this is a very well-played series right now. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that's where the, the purists get annoyed. It, it's, you know what I liken it to? You know, when you, and maybe this is you guys, I know this was definitely me as a young hip-hop head, was that mm-hmm. I would get in on artists at the ground level when they were underground, right? Mm-hmm. And then they would have that one hit or that one album and then everybody else would jump on the bandwagon, and then I would get annoyed. Like y'all, y'all ain't y'all just y'all Johnny come lately. I've been listening to so and so. You know what I mean? Like y'all just got y'all just got hip to this. I've been on this, and now y'all coming in trying to tell me this, that, and the other about this song and that song. I've been listening to all this, and so I think that's where some of the pure boxing heads got a little bit annoyed with some of the casual fans. Who, yes, it was a great event. And because it was such a big event, it brought in more casual fans. But, again, I think that also may have uh, perturbed some of the hardcore boxing crowd. D. Wills, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question, brother. Impact. We talked about this pre-fight, post-fight. Impact. So it was a big fight. It was a big event. Did it it change? Did it have an earth-shattering effect? on boxing? That's, that's a great question. And before I do it, I, I want to give a shout-out to, to Ron Briggs. And, you know, this is another Phil T production. I told you, he kind of he liked Dre. You know, he finds the DLC. He finds uh, – he elevates, uh, you know, uh, artists in ways that we then we discover. And so uh, Teron was, uh, had done a couple podcasts and, and really got at this. If you got a chance, go to realsportsguys.com and, Check that podcast. We did a pre and post test. Uh, I mean, post uh, fight um, analysis uh, around this um, on the one mic. So please check him out. Okay, and, uh, PhD uh, mode. <laughs> Divine, yeah, you are in your PhD mode. One man is pre test and post test. 
Oh, you know, okay. you know, I got to show that. He, 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 you know, he's a dope producer, so he, you know, some of it I'm, just, I'm learning from. Okay, so uh, to get to your question, um, what it showed is that we still had him to fight, right? Um, you know, people said the same thing after you know uh, uh, Lewis and Tyson, uh, whether or not they were going to come back, and 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 this was even bigger. So it proves that we can we can still have mega fights. It proves that you know people talk a lot about MMA, but there's still nothing like a big fight. Okay, um, and the kind of people who come out to a big fight. I mean, people who are in the entertainment world, uh, political society, you know, all kinds of folks are showing up uh, for this fight, and it did you know it did that to prove that the fight can be made. It also, um, and this is the underlying thing that we got to see how it develops is that um, it got some of the key camps together to demonstrate that everybody can make money, right? Um, so you had this war between Showtime, HBO, Aram, Top Rank, uh, Golden Boy. Um, you got Al Heyman and all these key people who are about behind the scenes. It demonstrates cooperation can create uh, an event where there's money uh, for everybody. And so from that standpoint, I think, um, it, it proved that you can have it, um, and a, a lot of it's going to come down to the boxing game, being able to promote some of these fights. I mean, in the midst of all this, we missed, missed an incredible fight between Kirkland and Canelo, and Canelo is somebody who can draw a big time. He's, you know, he's young, what, 24 years old. And so there's some stars uh, uh, who can carry the mantle that people haven't discovered, and I think that's why what Heyman is doing with, um, with that premier uh, boxing championship is important because it's bringing these type of fighters uh, to mainstream television. Um, you got Rock Nation; they're going to be doing a, a one on BET, um, and so on. These, you know, boxing is realizing that they're going to have to start promoting some of the young talent on these um, uh, on these lesser, not just premier uh, 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 cable channels, but also uh, free television. So I think that's part of it. Um, and the other thing I want to get back to what Phil said. And I, I agree with everything he said. Is that uh, Mayweather told you this was going to happen, um, and, and it wasn't like he, it wasn't like he didn't foreshadow it. And part of the part of the reason why you draw the money is because people didn't believe. And what he commented on, I, I posted kind of my own little blog about this. Is the thing that Mayweather understood is the basic instinct around uh, the basic human emotion around envy and jealousy. Um, uh, and that feeds people, and he played that emotion uh, to the end, and resulted in this, you know, nine-figure kind of boxing day. I've never seen anybody. Have y'all ever seen somebody walk around with a check? Had <laughs> <Get> a check? <laughs> come, come on. He would, he would let people hold it and say, "No direct deposit." This cat got a check in his hand. They, can you imagine that? You know, all the gangsters was up and rolling trying to wait for him. They wish they could hit him over the head with a bat and walk away from that. I mean, so it, it, it demonstrates that boxing can't get happen. Mayweather is still a draw. He'll find a way to make a lot of money off that 50th fight. Um, and the thing about it was it wasn't like he didn't engage. You know, people, if you sit back and watch the fight, um, he was hitting them with straight stuff. He was hitting them with uh, – he wasn't afraid to gaze. And even in the first round, one of the things that people don't understand about Mayweather, you know, there's been a lot of people who are slick boxers who counterpunch and did all that stuff who get overwhelmed when they have 
uh, power punches in the ring with them. We've seen that over time. You have to ask yourself, why is it that you get people like Cotto, you get people like Canelo, you get people like Manny Pacquiao, you get all these great boxers, fighters, punchers. Why do they give up territory when they're in the ring with Mayweather? He hitting them with something. If he was just hitting them with uh, glancing blows and tapping them, most times when you watch fighters like that, they walk through those fights. They walk through those kind of fighters. I've never seen anybody really other than uh, the, the Madonna, who is as, as aggressive a person that you're ever going to meet. But even in the second fight, he gave up territory. And so I think one of the things that people need to understand about Mayweather is, is, is he's got power. He's got enough power to keep people off him because if he didn't, they would walk through his punches. And I don't see too many people walking through his punches. That means he's hitting them with something. Agree, agree. And I think the, the tricky thing about Mayweather is that Mayweather, you, you use the analogy of the Spurs, PAT, and I like that analogy, but Mayweather took that formula of that precision, that tactical, that technician, you know, he took that formula and he made it marketable by what he did, by the persona he created off the court, right? So out of the ring, he's everything he's not in the ring, or at least he presents him, so he created an image of everything that he's not in the ring. He's a disciplined, hard worker. you know what I mean? He's a grinder in the ring. He's a tactical technician. He's a boxing genius in the ring. His out-of-the-ring persona, not his work ethic, his persona is this flamboyant, arrogant, you know, money-driven. And that is what he's created this dichotomy within himself that draws people in. And he realizes that, again, for him, he's going to fight his fight and he's going to win. And as long as he keeps winning and he keeps grading on people, with his persona, people are going to come to watch him fight. And he's mastered, he he has figured out a way to market what the Spurs have created with this very tactical, um, very kind of uh, sterile, clean style. And he has taken it and given a different kind of a life to it. Still draws people in, but it draws people in in a very different way. Like, you may not necessarily be entertained by his fight, his fights may not be the most entertaining things themselves if you're not a uh, a hardcore boxing fan. But what is entertaining and what people come to watch him for is their own emotional battle with wanting this dude to either win or wanting to see him lose. And he's created that connection with his fans through his persona. You know, Kanye West has a line. You know, you can either love me or hate me, but either way you're going to feel some type of way about yay. You know what yeah. I mean? And he's fine with both, right? As long as you feel something. I got you to feel something. Whether it's love or hate, I got you to feel something. And that's what Mayweather does. And that's what draws people in. And that's why he got the $100 million check to walk around and show people. And one of the interesting things about Adam, when he said, if you, Tell me about that. if you listen to his post-fight interview, um, and he said something real interesting. You know, they asked him a question about, you know, is, you know, can, can people create the same kind of flow in future fights? And what is, if you have a chance to go back and listen to the interviews, it's an interesting thing he says. He says, what, people, what some of these young boxers haven't realized is it's, it's not just about the boxing. It's about um, understanding who you know in boxing, understanding um, who makes moves in boxing, 
Um, and this is a consistent theme around people in sports and athletes in sports who have been successful, who understand how the levers get moved. I think that's what makes LeBron work. He, they, now that's what made uh, 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 Michael work. That's what made Magic work, meaning they're, they're, the, they, they benefited not just as from their winning, but they reaped bigger benefits because they also understood the business of their, of their sport and they understood the leverage points, and they positioned themselves with people who, who do it, and they're relentless about that aspect of their lives. And, and, and that speaks a lot to whether or not fighters like Canelo or Crawford, it's not enough to just be a great fighter. It's also you've got to be a student of the business of fighting and where the money is made. And that's why he's making all that money is because – where he's undisciplined in some places, he's very disciplined when it comes to all aspects of boxing, including both. So he took the coaching from Al Heyman, took the coaching from the right people in terms of how to work his business. And that's another aspect of the game, particularly in a world where you can leverage social media. You Watch the way he changes his hat. So now he got Mayweather Entertainment. He got Mayweather Sports. He got, you know, all that stuff is a setup for the next move. Yeah. Yeah, so we want to break down the check, right? So Mayweather, he got a hundred million. He got a hundred million dollar check, right? A physical check, not like one of the big dumb checks, but like a physical check. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so he was in an interview, <laughs> and he just didn't cash it. Just walked around with it. <laughs> just kind of, you know, took it to the grocery store. <laughs> Just had it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, do you deposit that at a Chase ATM? You know, a Chase, you can put your check in. Like, what is it? What's the right. Yeah, like, wait, wait, who, wait, like, what bank checks cash is that? What I mean, like, there's got to be, like, some special kind of bank for that kind of money, right? You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to, like, your local associated, you know. <laughs> he's not hitting up, you know, your local... Uh, bank one, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's not he's not just gonna drop that off. <laughs> right. I mean, with Arlene the teller, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, he's I mean, just not gonna drop that off with Arlene the teller. You know, can I get two hundred dollars yeah. cash back? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like do they make him deposit it in chunks? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you can only put, you know, five hundred thousand in today, you know. So basically, he kind of paraded around with his check in true Mayweather fashion, just annoying the hell out of regular people. <laughs> Which is what he does. You know what I mean? It's what makes it all work. It's because some of the things that he does totally great on, in particular, you know, just the average dude. It kind of grates on him a little bit, you know. So is it? That's, that's Mayweather. Question for you, PhD. Would you pay to see Pacquiao Mayweather too? Would you pay another forty dollars or a hundred dollars to have it at your house? Um, would you pay? Or would you put more money on the table to see Mayweather Pacquiao too? You know, it's come out after the fight that Pacquiao's shoulder was messed up, so they might do a re- they might do a, a rematch around uh, another go around at it. Um, you know, Mayweather texted that to Stephen A. And then a little bit later, a couple of days later, texted Stephen A. Said he's not doing a rematch. Um, so would you would you pay for a rematch? I would. I would pay for. I would pay for any Floyd Mayweather fight. 
right now. Um, now it comes a fight, like it comes a time in every, every boxer's career where you may say that you'll pay for their fight in 2014, but or 2008, but based on where they're at now, you wouldn't pay for it. Um, but right now, I will pay for a fight. Uh, it doesn't matter who he who who Mayweather is fighting. I will pay for it. And, okay. You know, there's not a lot of people in boxing. I would say that about. Another couple of guys I would say that about are the Klitschko brothers. And, you know, but this this shows the state of boxing. You know, Mayweather charges 100 bucks. They're normally 50, 60 bucks to see a fight. The Klitschko's, you can watch them on HBO. <laughs> right. Canelo was on HBO. Oh, my goodness. Man. Canelo and Kirkwood, or Kirkland. Man, that was, you know, that slug fast. And knocked out in the second round, Kirkland, uh, Kirkland was. I mean, that was right on time, especially everybody wanted to see more flooding. Um, but that that was a fight. Floyd, I thought, was more boxing. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I think the thing that boxing has to figure out, and I'm going to close on this point, the thing that I think that boxing has to figure out is how to give people both of those. So how to get that marriage that Canelo – and Kirkland fight, because you're introducing two younger stars. Most people are familiar with Canelo, um, but on a larger scale, you know, Canelo's not a household name. But you got Canelo and Kirkland, both two up-and-coming boxers, couple of them with Mayweather and Pacquiao. So people get the slugfest, and then they see the boxing. You know, because that's a fight that I think if people see that, you know, they immediately become fans of both of those guys, even though Kirkland got knocked the heck out. <laughs> but you become a fan of both of those guys, you know what I mean, if you see that fight. Um, and I think that's the thing that boxing has to figure out is how does it leverage the star power it has. And that's what other leagues other leagues have the, have the luxury of being able to do is to, you know, have a primetime game where LeBron faces off against an Anthony Davis. So, you know, you have people who come to see LeBron and then they get treated to watching this young star in Anthony Davis. You know, or you have, you know, the Broncos play against the Indianapolis Colts. Well, people are, you know, they're familiar with the Peyton Manning brand, so they're going to watch the Broncos. Oh, who's this other kid playing quarterback? Oh, Andrew Luck. He's really good as well. You know what I mean? Um, And so that's the thing that I think when boxing figures out how to do that is when they start to create multiple – because right now in boxing, it's, it's like it's like the Sith, right? You use a Star Wars reference. It's like the Sith. The thing with the Sith, you know, Darth Vader, he's the Sith. Sith are evil Jedi, in case you didn't know, listeners out there. Right? So Sith are the evil Jedi, basically. They got the Force, but they're evil with it. Um, but there can only be two Sith at once. There's the Master and the Apprentice. You know what I mean? So there's never like ten. There's, that doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way because they would kill each other. <laughs> right? Because they're evil. <laughs> so that's kind of how boxing is. Like, you really have really multiple big, big names, you know, big cachet names at once. Um, and that's, I think, when they figure out how to do that is when the money really starts to rake in. You know, right now it's May and September. There's going to be a couple of big fights. Um, but really the rest of the calendar year, nobody's really checking for boxing until the next, until September, you know. So we'll all kind of turn off the TV, step away from boxing until September, for the most part, until the next big, big fight, which will be around September. So I think when boxing can be 
when they can start to have some 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 dots on the sports calendar, um, some more dots on the sports calendar throughout the year, then I think it becomes something that stays in the consciousness of the average sports fan. The same way the NFL tries to monopolize the daggone sports calendar. Um, and I'm going to use that as a segue. You know, they dominated the news this past week. And we got, you know, the Gate, which, you know, started out in, during the regular season in February after the, uh, I think it was the, uh, what is it, the uh, divisional round of the AFC playoffs, the Indianapolis Colts accused the New England Patriots, in particular Tom Brady and Bill Belichick of tampering with footballs, deflating them um, to their advantage, <laughs> lower than the uh, the supposed and regulated inflation pressure, PSI, or whatever you want to call it, Footballs are supposed to be inflated at in NFL. There's a record, there's a number that you got to hit, and they were deflating the ball below that number after the refs checked them. Um, so they had a conspiracy going on, a conspiracy to deflate. <laughs> you feel me? They had a conspiracy to deflate um, and then distribute footballs. Uh, <laughs> so Goodell and his cronies <laughs> took this case, and they ran it around, and they had a private investigator come in, um, and now there's a report out. And the report came out about a week ago. <laughs> Very fitting for Tom Brady. It was all good about a week ago. <laughs> it was all good about a week ago. So this report comes out, and in the Wells, uh, the investigator's name is Wells, so it's called the Wells Report. And in the Wells Report, um, basically, it was a lot of kind of ifs. You know what I mean? Like they might have probably could have had some knowledge about possibly somebody taking the balls and maybe letting some air out. And then, you know, it was possibly could have been linked to maybe Bill Belichick knew possibly something about it. And, you know, he could have been in the room, but that's probably unlikely or highly likely. And it's like all this, all this vague language was used in this report. And then, so at that particular point, once I I actually heard some Exist from the report about the probabilities and the highly likelies and the potentialies. I was like, oh, okay, this is just a bunch of nonsense. Like, you can't convict nobody. You can't get nobody on no probabilities. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> reasonable doubt is written all over this report. <laughs> I mean, this report is just soaked in reasonable doubt. So, like, you can't, you can't, you can't make none of this. You know what I mean? This won't hold up. You know what I mean? This don't. This doesn't pass the eye test, right? You know, I've heard a lot of people say the optics are bad. Well, the optics are bad on this one. And so I kind of dismissed it. I thought it would just go away. It would be a story for a week. The NFL just wanted to be talked about. And so it was going to be a story for a week, and it was going to disappear. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I was completely wrong. Um, comes out yesterday, they suspending people. <laughs> taking draft picks and taking money. What? <laughs> so the NFL decided that they were going to suspend Tom Brady for four games. They were going to fine the New England Patriots $1 million, right? Get my Dr. Evil on right there. $1 million. A first-round pick next year, not two years, not three years, next year's draft, they're taking their first-round pick. What? And they're going to take their fourth-round pick the year after that. So this is... This is almost worse than uh, the bounty situation in New Orleans. 
the way they're coming down on people. I I'm, I'm, I was I was at a loss for words yesterday, man. I, I couldn't understand it. I was like, really? There was not, there was nothing in that report that said anybody actually had any knowledge of anything. So I just want to get you guys' reactions to this whole situation. I'll start with you, D. Wills. What was your reaction to not only the Wells report, but the suspensions and the penalties that followed? Yeah, well, I'm kind of like Tom Brady. I needed the clip notes. But um, I, I'll hit – the thing that hit me with it is that um, where they were consistent is if you have not been forthcoming, then you know you're going to get some type of punishment. And so what was clear was Brady was not as forthcoming about providing them with the text message stuff. Um, and, you know, that's going to end up in something. You know, the problem I have with this is that, you know, if you really want to affect uh, the Patriots, you know, it's not really suspending Brady. It's, you know, it's just, you know suspending um, Belichick. Um, and, you know, um, you know, people can talk about, I, mean, I think there's a lot about, you know, I, I've had this, I had this conversation on, a, on, a, on the One Mike podcast, like, you know, have we, is there such thing as gamesmanship? Right. Um, and so have we jumped from something to that used to be gamesmanship is now kind of illegal? And that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm losing steam with this, that, you know, if you're getting them, because the Patriots, you know, they are they are line steppers. <laughs> they tip you toe on that line. And I think, you know, this is really not just about, you know, as they said in the letter uh, from the NFL, you know, this is about um, also your past uh, uh, offenses. Um, and it's clear that you are going to push this line, um, uh, which has created a whole other storm. But, you know, I felt like, um, you know, the, the Patriots' defiance through this process when, you know, if they had to cooperate a little bit and then if the NFL came down and hammered them, I probably would have a bigger issue of it. But there's an arrogance about them as an organization that feels like they can just get past this and just kind of dismissed it throughout the process that I think is a problem here, more so than PSI. I mean, now they got, you know, there's sports science people saying this does not make it to, it's more psychological and, all that we got a whole bunch of other stuff going on, but I think it's that slight defiance, that craft coming out saying you owe me apology, all that stuff, that arrogance, probably what we just said about um, Mayweather, I think caused this to happen, especially given the perceived relationship between Kraft and the commissioner, as if you know he's gonna get handled with kids' gloves, and so um, you know I, I think it's gonna at the end of the day be much to do about nothing. I think that the, the, the New England, knowing that this is going to happen a little farther out, um, I think they they'll work their way through the times. You know, this, in some of these games, Belichick will be more focused. You know, because he's going to want to prove something. Uh, I think they're going to be more focused as an organization. Um, but I think part of it is that defiance. You know, and and I think people just looking at the Patriots, they always act like they haven't done anything, and when they have, and I think that's part of the punishment. Okay. Well, I hear you. I think part of it is the whole mentality that you you can you can mess up, right? You can mess up, but you ain't going to lie to me about it. You know, you're not going to lie to me about it. 
if I got to chase you down and I got to do all this hunting and, and, and back checking your story, then we gonna have a we we gonna you gonna get you gonna get yourself into more trouble with your life, right? And so I can understand that I can understand that that train of thought around it. The question I want to pose to you, Paz, is is the is does the penalty fit the crime though? I mean, so even with the lying piece of it, it we talking about. I mean, we're talking about deflated footballs, man. We're talking about deflated footballs. Right. As you said, D. Wills, where's the, where's, where's the leeway for gamesmanship, right? Where's the leeway for gamesmanship? So what are your thoughts on that, PhD? I think the penalty was too strong. Um, I believe that he got gobbled up within the context of the NFL's perception issue over the last few years. You know, when you started talking about Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson, uh, with domestic violence, um, you know, you started talking about uh, Stallworth a few years ago, killing somebody with a, you know, vehicular manslaughter. Um, I mean, there's just a laundry list of stuff dating back. Um, And in general, there's been this thought that – Goodell just hasn't got it right. He hasn't got it right with like with the penalties. And it's 2015, so these athletes, they have good heads on their shoulders. So some of them, some of them are going to fight when they feel like there's an injustice, um, like Jonathan Vilma. And so the worst thing that could happen to the NFL right now <laughs> is if Brady goes the Vilma route and appeals and just doesn't appeal – where you, where you see it on SportsCenter, you know, oh, by the way, uh, Tom Brady is appealing his suspension. No, Tom Brady goes Jonathan Vilma where he's in his suit um, with his lawyers and he's giving a press conference. <laughs> and he's right. Right. sitting down. That's going to be a problem for the NFL. And so to answer your question very directly, yeah, I think the penalty was too strong, but I feel that with appeals, and other things, um, the penalty will get reduced, you know, to one, perhaps two games. And Mm -hmm. I believe the NFL did this for perception issues. Um, But, hey, we're going to come down hard on the Patriots, but at the end of the day, the Patriots aren't going to get, you know, hurt as bad as it looks right now. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think it was a lot of a lot a, a lot a lot of perception had a perception had a lot to do with it, um, and it had a lot to do with it in the sense that, you know, there there have been a lot of missteps by Goodell. You know, we call him on this show the habitual line stepper, um, because he just doesn't quite figure it out all the time the right way to handle these situations, and to an extent, it seems as if he's very willy nilly and there's no consistency around how these situations are dealt with. Um, I think he wanted to prove a point. He wanted to make a statement. And I do think D. Wills, you pointed to his relationship with Kraft, he did feel like he needed to maybe distance himself from his boy. Um, you know, over text this weekend, or yesterday, actually yesterday when the news came out, I likened, uh, I said that this was uh, this was Dell's Frank Sabaka moment. Yeah, that's the wire ref season two, the doc, the forgotten season, the season that people don't really like. That's a Sabaka reference, Frank Sabaka. All right, you gotta understand who Frank Sabaka was. He was the leader of the unions of the docks. 
but he was also in cahoots with the Greek. Bob Kraft is the Greek. He crossed the Greek. They found his body in in the water. <laughs> <laughs> From my perspective, if this this could easily not go well for Goodell, you know, you're crossing the guy who has kept you safe, right? Who has kept you in good graces with the rest of the owners. Bob Kraft could easily round up a posse, and, and we could have the clan scene from Django Unchained all over again. <laughs> and they come to get Goodell, you feel me? <laughs> it could not end well, man. This could not end well, but it'll be highly entertaining for all of us onlookers. Um, but I digress. Goodell doesn't want to – if I'm Goodell, I don't want to do that. But he had to do that to prove that he was his own guy, you know. And in doing that, though, you know, it's one of those cut your nose off to spike your face kind of situations. I think this – and I wouldn't be surprised if this is the first step towards us eventually seeing Goodell step down within the next two or three years. Because I think you just pissed off your number one supporter. You just pissed off your number one fan. Um, and you might have burned a bridge that led to that, – that your allies were coming across, right? Kraft was the bridge that Goodell's allies would come across when he needed them. Well, he just burned that bridge. So your allies aren't coming anymore the next time you mess up. And he will mess up. <laughs> he will crawl. He, he is the habitual line stepper for a reason. He will mess up. The other piece about this conversation that has slightly irked me a little bit are the people who – so there are kind of two camps in this conversation as well. There's the camp of it's not a big deal. Everybody's overreacting. And then there's the camp of this tarnishes Brady's legacy. Now, in this particular conversation, I'm a man with no country because I'm not riding with either of those particular trains of thought. I think those are two wrong ways of looking at this. You know, it doesn't tarnish Tom Brady's legacy. Tom Brady's a great quarterback. He'll be a great quarterback. But what I will say, and this is always my argument with baseball heads, who want to come out and say that steroids doesn't help you hit a baseball. I would present the same argument to anybody who says, well, you know, the sports science people can do all they want as far as checking to see if it actually impacts whether or not he can throw the ball better or not. That doesn't matter to me so much as, as an athlete, you don't engage in things that don't, you don't think are going to give you an advantage, period, right? You ain't taking steroids unless you think the steroids help. Right? You're not going to shrink the ball unless you think shrinking the ball helps. You're cheating. <laughs> you know, now, am I am I as concerned with this kind of cheating? Nah, I don't care. <laughs> Put some stick on you. Put some silicone on your jersey. All those little things that you said, D-Wills, there's room for gamesmanship in my opinion. You know, I don't mind that. I don't mind people trying to seek out those little nuanced advantages. I'm cool with that. But then don't, don't, don't urinate on me and tell me it's rain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't do that because it's not, right? You're cheating. You're still cheating. It's just a, a, a lower level of cheating. It's misdemeanor cheating. It's get a ticket cheating. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, you're speeding. You're not, you know, it's not vehicular homicide. You know, that's not the different, same type of deal, different levels, right? There's levels, levels to this cheating thing. So that's how I view it. You know, does it make time, does it somehow 
tarnish what Tom Brady has done in my eyes? Absolutely not. I think that's a ridiculous way to go about this. And I think you're probably, if you feel that way, listeners out there, anybody listening to this podcast, listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSU Renegade Radio. If you fall into the, this tarnishes Tom Brady's legacy, you're probably a hater. <laughs> and you should go to a doctor and get that checked out for. <laughs> wow. That's just silly. That's just silly. I don't think it tarnishes his legacy. Again, does it make Jerry Rice any, any less of a receiver because he put stick him on his gloves? No. Nobody's saying that. No one would ever say that. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's that level of cheating where you I get more mad about steroids because you're physically altering what God gave you. You know, you're physic you're 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 purposely altering your physical makeup, which is basically what athletics is about. <laughs> I got a better I got better tools than you do. And when you start to purposely try and cheat and alter the tools, that's the one thing I like get better from a skills perspective, but don't try and, you know, enhance your body through a unnatural means. That to me is that to me is the ultimate athlete crime. You know, the whole idea is you come with what you got, I come with what I got, and then our work ethic determines who's better. I work hard on you to become better, as skilled as I can as I can physically be, and you come and you work as hard as you can as, and get become as skilled as you can physically be. This little stuff, like you deflated the ball, you put a stick up on your gloves, you know, you got pine tar or whatever baseball guys do. I, I'm I'm not so I'm not so much sweating those kind of things. It's the things like steroids and that kind of stuff, you know that kind of stuff that, that, that bothers me at my core. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is this is this a severe case of cheating? Um, do you do you think this tarnishes Brady's uh his legacy? I'll start with you, PhD. Um it's not a rule. I mean it's uh You can just say you don't, don't care. Yeah. I mean I don't see it as a big deal, man. To me, it's kind of like uh, I heard somebody talking about it um, earlier today. It's, it's like the pine tar rule in baseball. There's a silly rule that, um, <clears throat> you know, if you lay the bat against uh, across the plate, home plate, it's 18 inches across. If you have pine tar above 18 inches of your bat, you can be called out. But... The home, the the other team's coach or manager in baseball has to tell the umpire about it, so the umpire can see that your entire bat, that's, you know, a normal <laughs> baseball bat is like thirty six inches long, but so the umpire can see that your entire bat has pine tar on it, but the umpire can't say anything until the other manager. Yeah, it's it's one of those silly, silly rules in my opinion. And so, you know, I mean, like this PSI thing, yeah, I, I guess I do care. So this PSI thing, you know, it's the rule now, and I didn't know it before this whole thing is, is that it can't be lower than 12 and a half pounds per square inch, uh, or it can't be lower than that, it can't be any higher than 13.5. Man, are you telling me? that 25% of the NFL teams last year did not play above or below a PSI of 13 or 15. Come on now. This stuff happens, man. And, you know, it's right. It's almost like it's almost like when uh, people get all uptight when they hear profanity on the sideline because 
all this technology sometimes, you know, the bubble did not pick up the two-second delay. So all of a second, like all of a sudden you hear NFL players call your mama this and your daddy this, and, and people are appalled. This is what happens behind, you know, backstage. Like this is what happens. And so I, part of me is, is just frustrated with it. I, it uh, all right, I don't care. <laughs> well, back to your profanity piece, man. It, 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 I, I hear you. I feel you, man. It's like, you know, I, in high school I played ball, and, you know, I didn't cuss because it's just not allowed in high school. You cuss on the court, you're going to get a T like that, you know, even if you're not talking to anybody. When I got to college, you, you had a little bit more leeway, you know, and I remember my mother came to one of my first college games, and, you know, one of the guys on the other team was jawing at me, and I told him, shut the bleep up. You know what I mean? And I said it loud enough where my mom heard it in the stands. <laughs> but she comes to me after the game, and she's like, when you start talking like that when you play? I'm like, I always talk like that. <laughs> you just couldn't hear it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just couldn't hear it. <laughs> you yeah. happen to be sitting a little bit closer this time. <laughs> so it's, it's 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 yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not really necessarily – up in arms about it, D. Rose. What are you thinking? I mean, are you are you are you in the same boat? Are you are you upset about this? Um, do you think this tarnishes Tom Brady's legacy? No, because you know after they corrected the ball, he went on to blow him out the uh, out the arena. So I think yeah. the thing about this thing is that that's lost in all of it is that a lot of this was first half related stuff. Well, the blowout in the game happened in the second half when all where most of the balls were supposed to be the same. So what saves him, at least in this instance, is that when it was corrected, he went on to put up record numbers, and they put, pushed him off the field. So given that alone, everything else y'all just said, doesn't make this a big deal. What makes it a big deal is that given all that, the Patriots decided that we're going to do it our way, we ain't going to say that to you. And that's what's causing all this other stuff. You know, I think regular people who can really be reasonable can say, you know, given all we know about this, even the report, what happened, it still didn't have anything to do with the fact that Indianapolis couldn't cover by the second half when the balls were normal. Right? So I don't hear any Colts fans say anything. You know, poor defense, luck didn't perform, that got blown out the door. So, and then he went up against the best defense, in the league, in very, you know, uh, calm conditions, and did surgery surgery on him. He went straight surgical on him. So, when you look at that, his 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 his, his legacy is in, in jeopardy. What's what's in jeopardy is the extent to what the Patriots will do to win, which he gets caught up in. So I think that's part of what he's getting caught up in, which is undeniable. Patriots, uh, their own set of line steppers. I think he's getting caught in all that. If this were the only thing on the Patriots thing, it would be a blip. We'd be moving on. What he's caught up in is a larger organizational issue that Kraft has to take responsibility for. Because why is it that you always getting caught up in this, especially when you—that's your boy. He's a commissioner, and he got to come in here and keep trying to bail you out. You looking at him? He should be looking at you. Like. You see what I got to deal with? You keep, every time I turn up, you, you keep, y'all keep showing up in the news. See, and, and that's, that's the Sabaka angle. That's the Sabaka yeah. angle. Sabaka's just trying to run the docks. 
He just trying to run the doctor. <laughs> Greek keep bringing all this police attention with these cans full of uh, European girls. He <laughs> 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 keep bringing all this police attention. And it's like, man, I can't keep yeah. hiding this stuff. If you gonna keep bringing these bodies, if you gonna keep dumping bodies, I can't keep hiding this, man. <laughs> yeah. That's the Sabaka angle right there. That's the Sabaka <laughs> angle. Goodell is like, I can't keep hiding all this, man. Yeah, you my boy. We working together. We in on this. But listen, dog, you keep bringing the heat down on me. <laughs> yes. Yes. You bring out more that, heat that's than it both right New York teams. You bring out more heat than both New York teams. And the Raiders. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <the> right. <laughs> you know, how are you doing all that? Yes. So, yeah. That, that's that's what this is about. So, you know, yeah, again, I think this is going to this, this, it'll play out how it's going to play out. But I, I, I just thought I was shocked. I was really shocked at how hard he came down on them. Um, we'll see, man. I, like I said, I think he's got maybe two or three more years of this. And I think Adele just might be like, you know, I'm out. <laughs> he might debacle himself. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he, he that was that. How much money he make a year? That forty million. That forty million. You fight to the end. They got to tell you to go.
You know, they won two championships, then they lost to the Bulls. They got swept. Those three years, the Bulls were their biggest rivals. And, I mean, the Bulls were on the cusp. They were on the cusp. Pippen was getting better. Jordan was understanding that he needed the ball more. And every one of the games in the regular season, but especially the playoffs, every possession, man, you know, when Jordan went on a 6-0, 7-0 run and Chuck Daly had to call a timeout, there was just like this helplessness feeling he had. You know, like, oh, this guy again. And so many times, and I say it so many, but maybe it was only four or five games, where Jordan would just hit a 15, 18-foot jumper to end the game. And there was just this feeling of just lowness that I felt, you know, for a few hours. That's what I felt when Derrick Rose hit that shot, okay? But then when LeBron hit the shot the next day or the next game to win the championship, um, I felt like I was watching Jordan, like one of those Jordan moments. And back then I was not a Jordan fan because I was a Pistons fan, but, but just like I felt like, man, okay, this is what it feels like when you have the best guy. You may have the best team, you know, like the Pistons had back then, but the Bulls had the best guy for so long. And so now being a Cavs fan, it was almost switched where, you know what, the Bulls have the better roster right now. Especially with Gasol, but with like with Gasol out of season, but the Cavs are still in it because they have the best player in the world. And so when LeBron made that shot, a part of me went back to when I was like eleven, twelve of like we shouldn't have won this game, but you know what? We got Jordan, we got LeBron. All right. I feel you, man. I feel you. I love Thanks it. for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that. You know, you went and you went a lot longer than you, than you said. You was LeBron period. Then you went like, oh, <laughs> right, right. You know, I'm but I appreciate you sharing that. But I appreciate like you sharing that with us. Is there anything wrong? Nope. And then and then I'll boom. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's like and three hours later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, D-Wills, you know how it goes? We need more dogs. I had a couple of them, but I got to go with this person. Did you call Bank? No, I called Gang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's mine. That's mine yeah. right there. <laughs> I love it. I, I, it, it was one that was going to be mine, too. That, that was, that was going to be mine, too. Go, uh, yes, that was for the old schoolers. And Paul Pierce has reinvented himself as the wily old dog. You know what I mean? He's just a wily old vet. And he's reinvented himself as just like, you know what? I'm going to show up last three minutes of the game and do something crazy. (laughs) He is that old cat at the park that gets picked because he's always there for game point. He might not do nothing yep. throughout the game, but we got to get 15 and win by two. That's the cat going. And he's going to yell, game, off glass, bang. And then he's going to walk right to the to the, to the the bench, sit down, grab his towel, and he's drink to the next game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I'm, I'm telling you. That he's cat, that cat. Man. He might not even cross half court the whole run. <laughs> <laughs> he just played D and, and just out at the ball and just wait till y'all come back. 
until you get to 14. Stay back, stay back. Younger than yellow, stay back, stay back. Okay. You know what I mean? Until you get to 14. Then he running off screen. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Calling for the ball. He don't throw that outlet on 14. He gets the rebound. He don't throw the outlet. He bringing it up. <laughs> Waving Blow kicks up. away. Blow up. <laughs> Calling for the ISO. Everybody on the other side. All y'all on the other side. Get the other side of the court. I got you. <laughs> you know, and he got some. He got some eighteen-year-old on him. Eighteen-year-old, like, nah, bro. You know, he put he hike his shorts up. Get that low squat. Got his arms up. He, you know, jabbing at him with his hands. He get across half court, back him down, two, three dribbles, turn around, jump him, hit him with that uh, Tom Shepard from above the rim. <laughs> <laughs> Game over. Game over. It's a wrap, young blood. <laughs> somebody, somebody tag me a Miller. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he do. That's why he at the park. From, he at the park from fourteen up. <laughs> that's Paul Pierce at this point in his career, man. And I love him for it, man. That's Paul Pierce at this point in his career, and I completely love him for it. <laughs> oh and man! So let's go ahead. And, and I'll say this: when he's going to coaching. He's going to be like the second version of Sam Cassell. You know, he's going to be that same, yeah. doing that same thing from the bench, getting the young is ready for that. You know, uh, yep. I love it. I'm sorry to take that one, man, but that's just, I love it. Man, I, but, you know, I he, really he, he's like Pierce. a swagger coach right now. Go ahead. I really hope, you know, Paul Pierce at some point, if he becomes a coach, gets his facial hair together. Um, <laughs> his facial is hair true. is just man. If you can't grow it, you just cut it all off. I mean, you it's, it. it's just patchy. It's like you know, it, it is horrible, man. It is just horrific. It is so bad. <laughs> yeah, his game. His game says you know most interesting man on the planet. Like his game is like those epic guy. You know what I'm saying? But his um. <laughs> His his facial hair is Doogie Howser. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're right, man. His face he's got he's he's got the worst facial hair in the league. Yeah. It's just like, yo, man, it won't grow in, bro. Just keep it clean. <laughs> it just won't grow in right. <laughs> so let's go ahead and transition to talking about the NBA playoffs. Let's start with the Wizards and Hawks, man. Uh right now the series is tied up at two to two. I thought the Wizards were going to run away with the series until John Wall got hurt. They're still hanging in there. Atlanta seems really vulnerable. I know, PhD, you thought Atlanta was going to go out this round. You thought it would be the Toronto, uh, but it's Washington. Yeah. What, are, what are your thoughts on this particular series going forward and how you see it playing out? Um, you know, really, overall, it's just good basketball being played, man. Um, I'm not a fan. Well, I shouldn't say I'm not a fan. I just haven't followed either of these teams much. I think the entire season, I'm not sure if I saw the Hawks. Well, I saw the Hawks play in person once against the Cavs, but they actually lost by, you know, they were down by 30 points at halftime. And shortly after that, I mean, days after that, they went on that 20-plus game winning streak. Um, it's, uh, 
I I have a hard time with the Hawks. Um, they play a a good brand of basketball, but I just question if they have that go-to player or that go-to set at the end of games um, to get a bucket when they need it. Um, the Washington team, I, I like them, man. They're playing tough. There's no way they should have been as competitive as they've been these last two games with John Wall out. Um, but here they find themselves tied at 2-2. I really like this Washington team. I like the bigs they have. Um, I've been surprised that uh, their two centers haven't played as consistent as I would have liked would have would like them to, given that they're both veterans, Manet and Gortat. Uh, to me, they're kind of like the key to the series. Um, when they play average, they win. When they play really bad, they haven't been uh, competitive. So um, it, it's just to me. You know, Will Bynum has been also a guy that's really surprised me. Um, I liked him in Detroit when he played, but he he just didn't really seem to fit what they were trying to do in Detroit. Um, but he's, you know, he and Sessions, you know, as backup point guards have really been playing well um, in that series. Yeah, and I think in that particular series, one particular player that I think has really um... – raise his level of play, and I think for Washington in particular, it's really kind of taking that team to another level. And it's, it, They look like a different squad than they did during the regular season. That's Otto Porter. Um, Ooh, Porter has yeah. kind of started to solidify himself as a key piece that they can now start to count on at the three spot, which has allowed them to play Paul Pierce at the four, you know, because Atlanta's not a really big team. So they can get away with playing Pierce at the four, and when they go small ball with Pierce at the four, they're causing problems. Um, but the emergence of Otto Porter has let them do that. Um, the Hawks, you know, again, I think they're they're a, a year or two away. Um, I think they're one more strong piece away. They have a lot of good pieces that play well in their system, but I think when you isolate those pieces and, you know, that's what a playoff series is about, you're going to start to figure out and pick apart guys' weaknesses and you're going to be able to identify those weaknesses unlike how you would during the regular season where you're just trying to – you know, you're getting. You, this is your third team you've seen this week. You really haven't scouted them a ton. Um, that's how you can get to 60 wins with the style that they play. But I went. I think with Washington starting to dig in, um, I just. I think the Hawks. I think Washington wins this series, and the Hawks are going to have to get go to the drawing board and, and retool again and kind of find some more pieces to fit. But they got something. You know, the Hawks have something. They have something tangible. They just have to clean it up a little bit um, and, and work out some of the ancillary parts. Rockets Clippers, We're watching now. Clippers trying to close out. Series is at three to one. The Clippers have really dominated this series. Um, D. Wills, I want to bring you in. As we talk about this series, we can't talk about the Clippers and Rockets without really getting to the Hacker Shaq, the Hacker Howard, the Hacker uh, Jordan strategy. There's been a lot of talk about the league coming in and trying to create a rule to take this strategy out of the game. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm I'm not big on regulating that. I mean, in some ways I'm I'm in uh with I'm in King Smith's corner in, in a way that, you know, we we are we're honoring the person who had the deficiency. Um and forcing so for me I, I think, you know, from a from a from a it's a lot that's just a lot like the boxing conversation we're having. Um you know, for people who appreciate the strategy, appreciate it. But 
is not a knockout. And so it slows the game down. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think you should regulate that because the way you correct it is you free throws. And we look at the statistics, uh, Clippers have found ways to win, um, even when they've been hacking Jordan or, or whatever. So I, I'm not, I don't like it. You know, I think one thing it might look like rather than last two minutes, maybe last five minutes on the fourth quarter, that might be one change I would do. So the kind of thing they use for the last two minutes, you can make it last five minutes when it's, when it's clearly intentional, right? And you can discern from that, but to make it the last five minutes, so, it's, so two minutes, maybe make it the last five minutes, at least what it does, it makes the closeout of the game much more interesting. Uh, that might be something I would I would I might look at uh, with it, but you know, these guys get paid a lot of money. At some point, lunch shoots some free throws. Um, you know, all you got to do is go about seventy percent. Um, and we've seen. I mean, take Blake Griffin. Blake wasn't a great free throw shooter when he started out. Things he worked on it. And so, you know, for some of these cats, you know, if they can get up into that seventy range, people must they less likely to foul you. Is when you're shooting thirty nine percent, you know, um, and you got to correct it. So I'm less likely to, you know, do things that reward cats who have a deficiency that they should at least be able to work on enough to get it up to seven. And so, you know, it's an ugly game, but I think that's just part of the strategy. Yeah. I want to get D. Will, uh, Ph.D.'s opinion on that particular uh, question. I'm going to come back to you and we're going to talk Clippers and Rockets, D. Will. Ph.D., what's your thought on the whole hack-a-hack, hack a whoever kind of a strategy? Do you think that should be regulated out of the game or do you think it's just part of it? Um, it's natural selection, man. I think that uh, the NBA should do nothing. I'm with Devon. Make your free throws. Throughout the history of the game, we've had guys who have been horrendous free throw shooters from Will Chamberlain to Shaquille O'Neal to Dwight Howard, who's also in the series, to Jordan. And guess what? Um, They even make the free throws. In baseball, in the National League, the, the pitchers hit for themselves. The average baseball player, position player, hits about 260, 250, meaning that they get a hit one out of every four at-bats. The average pitcher hits under 100, meaning that let's say they hit .8 um, or 80, you know, 80 times out of a – or eight times out of 100, they get a hit. Um, We're not changing the rules of baseball to accommodate that. Um, The pitchers hit for themselves in the National League, and they have for years and years. So make your free throws, period. Yeah, I'm with both of you guys on this particular topic. Um, it's a part of the game, man. I mean, the whole yeah. point of a free throw is a reward. A free throw is a reward. It's an unguarded shot. So, like, you telling me it's a bad thing for me to reward this particular player with an unguarded shot? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, we're not guarding you now. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> it's a shot. <laughs> so that's kind of how I feel about it, man. Make your free throws. You're a professional. You know, take pride in your work, and if it's something you can't do, then that makes you a liability. You know, we don't hide that. Yeah. That's a, that 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 makes you limited. You know, and that's a weakness of your game. You either work on it or you don't, but don't regulate it out. We're not making it easier for you know weak defenders to be able to. We're not creating rules where weak defenders can guard people better. 
You know, yeah. we're not making rules where short guys can now post up. No, it's a deficiency. You can't. That's something you can't do. <laughs> That's not your skill set. You can change the skill set to live with sitting the bench during the fourth quarter. It is what it is. You know what I mean? You know, it, and as a coach, you know, if I could if I could play my worst free throw shooter who happened to be great at other things in the fourth quarter, then that totally changes what that player is. You know, now that player becomes a, a completely a plus player, whereas before it was a little bit more nuanced as, as a coach how I had to manage that particular athlete. So I, I just th- I think regulating it out actually changes the game in ways I don't think they want the game changed. You know, I think it, it, it makes – it makes it takes away the one liability that DeAndre Jordan has or Dwight Howard has, and it puts them on a the level of someone like LeBron when they're not that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It will raise the level of those kind of players artificially, and I think that's a bad thing. It would make guys who are not as good better, seem better, and I, or more valuable. And I want, I want to add in, I mean, even people like, you know, one of the greatest free throw shooters of all time, Rick Barry, you know, some of these big guys, he was recommended to shoot under him, under him. And so, you know, the, the way he, he used to shoot, and a lot of these cats are wearing lots of cool points. There's a lot of ways you can do that that would improve your free throw shooting. And so a lot of them won't do that, but if you're really serious about making this happen, maybe look at that. You know, you know, George could create a fad out there. Whatever he has to do, figure out how to market that. But that might be a strategy for him. But, you know, they, they suggest that for Howard as well. But you know, these cats have tried to even even do that. So you're not exhausting all your options. I'm not going to reward you, right? And again, you're talking to two cats who, at the University of Wisconsin, we watched a guy jump on his free throw. <laughs> yeah. 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 We had a cat shoot jumpers on his free throw <laughs> to get him yeah. to go in. You know, figure it out. Figure it out. D. Woods, I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, Clippers Rockets series. You got two teams, um, in particular with some with some high profile studs. Uh you got Howard and, and Harden for Houston and you got Blake and Chris Paul for the Clippers. Um talk about those two duos and how you see those two duos and which one is closer to a championship right now. Um these these are you know, both these are are I mean four great players. I think the difference and I'll, I'll probably take the, the Paul and, and, and Blake side, is that um, those two players, I think they're closer because those two players give you something on both ends. Whereas one of the things I struggle with with uh, Harden um, and uh, Howard is that, particularly from Harden's side, there's nothing he gives you on the other end. The other thing is that I think Paul – separates everybody because I think he's a better leader. Um, you know, that, that command of of a commitment that I, I don't think I see in, in Howard and Harden. Um, one of the things I've been saying all season about the Clippers that people are paying attention to is look, when you look at their total efficiency, you know, this is a team that's been great both offensively and defensively all year, and they, they make a commitment to it. And their stars, Griff and Paul, try to go at it on both ends in ways that I don't quite see that commitment um, from uh, uh, Harden and Howard. And and I, I think that's why um, you see lows on on, on Houston side. You know, they're winning here in, 
in this uh, this 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 game five that they really need to have a victory on. Um, but th- there's not a toughness that I, I I like to see. So I, I feel like the Clippers are closer, and I and I kind of said that uh, before playoffs um, are closer than. Um, and I heard somebody talking about it. And they, they felt they feel like Houston needs a third person that is the emotional glue. Like they need a Sam Cassell. You know, Houston needs that person because neither Howard or Harden does that. Um, whereas I would say, um, at least if it's Chris Paul, and I, I would say that Blake has stepped up, they do that for the Clippers where that's missing or it will, maybe might require another player to fill that void for Houston. All right. Let's transition. Memphis, Golden State. Memphis, man, I've enjoyed watching this team. Because they're an old school, you know, this I is an old y'all. school style of play. Two posts, banging, um, you know, Golden State's more of a small ball, space and pace kind of team. So it's two, it's a class of styles. It's a little bit of new school, old school. Um, the thing though, but the bigs in, in Memphis are very skilled. You got Big Zebo and you got Mark Gasol, two of the most skilled big men in the league. Zebo's got every move, every post move in his repertoire. It's all there. He's got everything in his toolbox. Um, and then you got Gasol, who can pass, who's probably one of the best passing big men we've seen in a while. Um, you know, Vlade mm-hmm. Divac X esque. You know what I mean? He, he's got he's got it like that. Um, and then defensively, the team guards really well, and they don't shoot a lot of threes. Whereas you have Golden State, which is more of a small ball squad. Draymond Green, a six-seven power forward, is their starting power forward. You know, they're very much space and pace. Want to space the floor, shoot threes get out, um, a lot of their offense is geared towards creating for their perimeter players um, and creating perimeter shot opportunities or opportunities around the rim. So very different styles of play. PhD, uh, you've been watching this series. What, what are some takeaways you've gotten from this series about these two teams, and particularly these two styles? They're both very good at what they do. And for so long, Memphis was the second seed in the West. So this is this is kind of what we expect, man. I mean, Golden State won so many games, so in some ways we thought they would kind of fly through the West, but the West is so strong this year and Memphis is so strong. I'm just appreciating to see this this level of play. Um, in those middle two games where uh, the Splash Brothers really struggled, people were being critical of Curry and the style of play, but guess what, man? That's what happens when you have good defense. And just like we saw yesterday, Curry bounced back and the team bounced back. So, (laughs) man, you know, I come from a time where, you know, in the 80s, watching the Celtics and the Lakers go at it. And these were the, the two best teams in the league by far. But guess what? In game two, the Lakers might win by 30. And in game four, the Celtics might win by 25. Any, on any given night, man, any team can get blown out or you can see a competitive ball game. And that's what we've been seeing consistently in the second round with every series except for one being even at 2-2 at some point. Yep. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great series. It's a battle. Um, and that's what you want at this level of the playoffs. You want to see some good series with teams battling when you get to this hey, round of eight. Um, 
as we go into our last series to check in, this is probably the most exciting, which is why I saved it for last. And I'm going to bounce, bounce back and forth between both of you guys. I want both of you guys to weigh in on this particular series. The Cavaliers versus the Bulls. Um, this is a series with a lot of hype going in, at least, at least in my world, right? I was excited about this series. You know, the league needed this, this kind of a series where you got two teams, you got one team with the best player in the world, you got another team that's been knocking on the door for a couple of years, finally have all their pieces back. Derrick Rose is looking like himself again, um, and they're on a collision course. And it's not the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's still a great series. So you have these two teams collide, and obviously injuries and all these other things kind of play into it. You had the suspension with J.R. Smith for the first two games. Then you had the injury of Kevin Love. Um, he's going to be out all playoff. Um, this has been a fun series and a very entertaining series. Uh, D. Wills, what are your thoughts on how this series has played out thus far, and how do you see it possibly going? Well, I mean, you know, with the injury report, I mean, things change. But, you know, what I love, and I and I, and I said to you know, as we were going back and forth on text, is that um, this series is what it is because of uh, what LeBron went through in Miami and um, when he decided to develop somewhat of a low post game. Uh, what it did was it gave him all the tools he needed for this moment, given the kind of formidable defensive opposition he's going to have from the Bulls. And it's really forced him to think about the game in ways that, you know, we just talked about Jordan. Jordan had to really think through moments and, and get and try to build people up and, you know, Boudini Brown and get folks going and um, in the ebb and flow. And so it's, 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 been, it's been great to watch the chess match inside the game by all the people in, involved. I think that's what makes this series so great is that the moves and the counter moves, these are all basketball players with pretty good IQs. They're all great, but they know how to play. Um, and and people, the next man up knows how to play. they got the veterans who are stepping in. And so, um, and it's about toughness. You know, both these teams are, you know, committing on both ends of the court to, to compete in ways that, you know, um, you know, I said, you know, we weren't seeing the state from the Houston. I mean, they all, they both have championship spirits. And both of them realize that you don't get these, the windows that you get um, like this anymore. So they're all competing. You know, they don't know how long these windows are going to be open. So you can tell they're getting after everything. Uh, what I love about what LeBron is bringing to the table is he's leveraging all the tools that he's developed he described the Miami experience like going to college. Um, and he's coming home, he's, he's he's applying all that stuff that he learned through the journey, and you see it all come together right here. So, you know, that's what I love about it. I love, you know, um, you know the way Chicago competes. Um, the, the backstory this is amazing is that how could you imagine a year where, you know, after the season where Thibodeau's going to be gone? Like, you know, think about that. Both um, are competitive and he might be gone next year. And so I'm just, you know, I think we're fortunate enough to see a great series like this. Yeah, the, the, the Tibbs thing is going to be interesting and see how that plays out. And that's where the this, this Chicago team is at a real interesting spot. Both of these franchises are at a real interesting spot. Cleveland is kind of on the upswing, right? They're 
putting a team together on the fly and trying to win a championship while they construct a team. You know, it's like you're trying to fly the plane while you're still building it. Whereas Chicago is in this very weird space. They've had a couple of cracks at it, haven't been able to break through, haven't been able to break through. And now they're at this point where if they don't get through this year, it's almost time to break up the band. You know, you you, you yeah. keep dropping album after album trying to find that hit, and you might not get that hit. Um, and so that that piece of it, and, you know, Thibs might be out at the end of the year, so Chicago's in a state of flux. I think Cleveland, you know, there's some question marks in Cleveland. I know, PAZ, you and I have kind of talked about this. You know, you got Kyrie, you got LeBron. Do you think Kevin Love is going to stay around? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, PhD? Um, you know, all season I've been very surprised on how critical people have been on Kevin Love. Um, yes, he could have been integrated better, but, you know, here's a guy that averaged 16, 17 points a game and, and, and 10 rebounds. Um you know, Chris Bosch was an all-star four years, <laughs> putting up those kind of numbers when he played with LeBron. Um, I, I'd i like to get Kevin Love back, but honestly, um, seeing Tristan, Tristan Thompson play 82 games last year, um, yeah. seeing him play in the playoffs, uh, I think in some ways, especially with a J.R. Smith on the floor, the offense looks better with a guy out there that doesn't need any shots. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to resign Tristan Thompson. I don't think he's going to sign anywhere close to max money, but they're going to have to pay him, you know, a decent mid-range uh, salary or a contract. Um, I'd love to see them solidify some other spots if Kevin Love doesn't want to come back um, and picking up two quality guys to fill out their starting lineup or to solidify their bench, especially with Shumper playing so well. Um, so I'd love to see Kevin Love come back, but at the same time, I'm kind of thinking about the financial flexibility the Cavs would have to fill in some of the other gaps. Do I think he'll come back? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I, I think I think he, he's in play. I think he'll come back. Um I see him coming back. I'd be surprised if he left, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he left if that makes sense. I don't know what I just said, but yeah. I think that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, it makes sense to stay, but I wouldn't be surprised if he left. My hope is he stays. I really hope he stays because I think they have a core of guys who together they're going to be a problem. You know, together they're going to be a problem. And additionally, I think I, I hear what you're saying about the cap flexibility and the flexibility it will give the Cavs financially. But I think as a franchise, the Cavaliers have to do everything they can to keep him. Because otherwise, you will have just traded the next one of the next superstars in the league and Andrew Wiggins for nothing. And that's not a good look uh, for, the, for, the, for the management, for the executives of the, of the Cavs right now. That would be a horrible, horrible look for them. Um, but in this particular series, I think you're seeing the value he has to the team as a sport, floor spacing big. If they can replicate that particular skill set at a lower price, I think um, 
that 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 could be beneficial down the road, and they see how important that will be for both LeBron and Kyrie to have that that other player on the court who can space the floor um, until Shump becomes a better shooter um, and J.R. Smith develops some sort of a conscious <laughs> around his shot selection. Even though, even though I will say J.R. hasn't been doing J.R. kind of thing um, this 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 season in the postseason since he joined the Cavs, Jack's been playing a more very much more disciplined brand of basketball. Um, and I think that's LeBron's yeah. leadership. Yeah, for the most part. Compared to his standards, yeah, and, and I would say you know even having like a, a Paul, I'm looking at a Paul Millsap, you know, there's a way to get a Paul Millsap who's unrestricted, you know, that's the guy that might be to fill that void. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good call. The smart player can do some things, um, and, and probably will come at a price that wouldn't break the bank, you know. And I think the other piece about it is you know. I've heard Jeff Van Gundy throw around the, the the idea, you know, I think the other night he was saying that Tristan Thompson should get max money. And I'm like, man, you're giving everybody. You, don't any listeners out there who happen to run NBA franchises don't hire Jeff Van Gundy in your front office. You will be paying – you'll be paying me a max contract, all right? <laughs> I go out there and dive for a couple of loose balls and press him for a minute. He's like, get that guy max. <laughs> He's a max player. Um, Tristan Thompson, I love Tristan Thompson's game, and I think he has a very unique and different impact on the game given his offensive rebound, rebounding abilities. And, and PhD and I kind of talked about this over tech. He's just a really interesting player, and I think he is a very valuable piece. And I think they can win with a guy like Tristan Thompson. I think ultimately they got to figure out, again, where Kevin Love fits into their plans and if they want to pay him, if they want to keep him, if they're going to – Bite the bullet and kind of take the take the loss, um, given that they gave up Wiggins to get him. Uh, those are some decisions that Cleveland's got to make. But before they got to make those decisions, they got to get past the Bulls. And this series again has been a very good series. It's been testy tonight. Uh, Todd Gibson got ejected from the game. What do you think of that, PAG? Don't don't forget. So yeah. So so at first. I'm I'm getting excited, like, okay, uh Gibson kicked Delanova, uh Delanova, uh guess what? Gibson's gonna be out this game for sure and there's a chance he's gonna get suspended at one to two more games. So I was just like jumping up and down, especially given that Gasol's out. Then they showed the replay. And Delanova did what he did, you know, uh pretty much <laughs> what did Chris Weber say? Uh, you're not gonna put a leg lock on a man and him be happy about it. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, Noah may get fine. I don't think that he's going to get suspended. I I don't think Gibson should be expend, uh, suspended. Um, I even as a Cavs fan, I didn't feel that Gibson should have been ejected. Um, if if anybody, Aaron Brooks came in <laughs> and cheap shot, uh, gave J.R. Smith a cheap shot, but I. Uh, Actually, I think that was a really bad call by the officials. And, um, yeah, like those are my thoughts on the play. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with C-Web. Um, you're not going to tie up my leg and just think it's going. It's not going to be okay. Okay, it's not going to fly. <laughs> right. All right. I'm going to kick you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there, was a, if there was a way to guarantee you got kicked by another grown man, like that would be one of the – that would be like probably one of the top three things you could do <laughs> to guarantee yeah. you're going to get kicked by another grown man. 
Because it's really, yeah. it's rare where a guy results to kicking you, right? After about eight, we're not really kicking each other anymore. <laughs> you know, so I'm looking forward to how this series plays out. It's 3-2 as we stand right now with the series going back to Chicago. Um, it's going seven. It's going this is going seven. It's going seven. It's going seven. I think mm. so. It's going seven. Yeah. It's going seven. Yeah, I, th- I yeah. think Cleveland. I think Cleveland wants to get it done in six. If I'm the Cavs, I want to get it. Especially if Gasol doesn't play in Game Six, I want to get it done because Absolutely. I don't want Game Seven and then Gasol shows up. That's Absolutely. what I don't want. Yeah, I want to get it done in six. If I'm Cleveland, let's wrap this bad boy up. There's something I want to point out, um, which um, speaks to LeBron being one of the best players to ever play the game. I I thought after his time in Miami that LeBron was was in my top ten uh, of all time. Um, and even if they lose this round, the Cavs don't get out of the second round. I think LeBron has taken even a bigger step to make the argument that maybe he should even be in the top seven, the top five. Um, his versatility as a player is sick. You know, I I was really too young to really remember this. I was only a couple years old. But, you know, my dad talks about stories about Kareem getting hurt in the finals and Magic, as a rookie maybe, um, stepped in in game five or six, whatever it was, and put up almost 40 points and, you know, played center and had double-digit rebounds. He had been playing point guard all year. Um, What LeBron is doing is almost like video game type of stuff. You know, um, when you're playing NBA 2K or back in the day in the glory days when you could play college basketball and video games where you had a player that kind of was like filled in every hole you had. Like, oh, man, man, uh, two of your centers got hurt. Well, guess what? You have this six-foot-ten small forward that you can now play in the post and you don't miss a beat. This is what's going on with LeBron, man. I mean, LeBron is essentially – their primary ball handler. Um, he's able to guard threes consistently during the regular season. But now, oh, you're a little thin of power forward? Okay, well, we're going to have LeBron play one of those rotation spots at power forward. Oh, defensively, we need him to cover a power forward? Okay, we can go small, quote-unquote, but physically be big. I mean, this like he's bringing an element to the game, man, that just covers the warts of a team and makes any team that he's on um, be competitive. If you, like, if you, like, we take the Ray Thomas approach and just line up the Bulls versus the Cavs and go player by player, the Bulls come out on top in terms of the talent that they have when they roster through their bench. But it's all neutralized, man, because of LeBron. I mean, there's there's only a handful of players in the history of the game that we can say that about, that they have the neutralizing ability where you can say, yeah, you know, uh, the other team has an advantage. Um, you know, I rate, I rate this player's team as 75, this other team is 87 on a, on a scale of 1 to 100. But guess what? This team of 75 has Michael Jordan. So they're going to be competitive. Where the team of 75 has LeBron. I like – I. 
I just think, man, that he's bringing a new element to this argument of where he fits historically. Yeah, you know, the part I do, I mean, and you've been pushing me on this, Phil, so I, I got to give you credit on this. I've, I've uh, come more to the center, and we can share this over our text conversations. But if you were to sit there and rank this year each position during our normal, so guard, point guard, two guard, all the way down, and LeBron could be considered in any of those rankings. Yeah. And what's those positions? He's going to be in the top five. In the field, he's going to be number one. And and that right there, in, in your ranking of him, but not just what he could do offensively, but you also rank on what he could do defensively. You know, that's the, even the counter to even the magic thing, is that that what I think that LeBron gives you is the versatility of the – a lot of times we talk about versatility, we talk about offensively. But what he gives you is versatility. It's very few players who can give you versatility offensively and give you versatility yeah. defensively. You know, I could join a great defender, but there were some places where he just wasn't going to put him, no matter how good he is. There's very few limitations with, with, with LeBron when it comes defensively. Even I can I can imagine him guarding Howard. I can imagine him guarding centers. Even though they might push him around, he's going to hold his own. And, and he's going to put them in the mix on some things. So that's the part that if you were to rank position by position this year and start to place your ranking, and LeBron could be included in that ranking, um, there are several positions you might have him at. Number one, a lot of positions you might have him, you, you wouldn't get to number three without having him, you know. Um, and there are some he's going to definitely be in the top five. So I think that's a, that's the interesting thing about him when I started thinking about that way. And there's, there's no other player that I can say that way. Yeah, and and additionally, we, it's, our, it's our fifth year anniversary. This is our fifth year of, of doing the radio show. Um, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. I think we got to revisit our top 50 NBA players. I think we're about time. It's about time. Because yeah. yeah. I think LeBron's in my top yeah. five. I think he's in my top I five. Think, wow. Wow. I, 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 if, you, if we go back and look at the tape, and we might have to play snippets from our previous one. That's what I said. I said once he wins the championship, I would say once he wins his first one, he gets into this little room. That's the only thing keeping him from getting a little room. He got two. Right and and um, you know he's sitting at the table now. They probably argue about who's gonna who's gonna deal the cards, but he in the room. Because right again. now LeBron's yeah, coaching that team too. He's coaching that team yeah. too because Black about blew it the other night. <laughs> oh man, don't get me started on that. Don't get me started on that, man. <laughs> you pulled a few webs up there, didn't you? <laughs> I mean. Of all the options of things you would do with 1.5 seconds left with your best player, inbounds is not even on the list. <laughs> I'm sorry. As a coach, I was offended. I was like, really? You have the, not only the best player on your team, but you got the best player in the world, and you going to have him throw the ball in? Are you for real? Of all the things that you can do with your best player in that particular situation, you know, get them the ball, have them be a decoy, you know, have them set a screen. All those things that you could do in that particular set to possibly create an opening for either that player or somebody else, you're going to have him be basically the most the guy, the one guy you don't have to guard <laughs> on the inbounds play underneath the basket is the inbounder. <laughs> I'm trying to get up there. That's tough. That's a tough so I, I do have a slightly different take. Well, I don't want to say different because I do agree with what you all just said about black. In that, but 
when when I heard that, like when I saw the interview that LeBron gave, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, it was like LeBron was waiting to say it. He didn't get asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? um, so tell us about the play. I mean, he didn't get asked about if the play was changed or, you know, the response LeBron gave was to this question. So, LeBron, tell us about the differences between what was drawn up and what actually happened. Okay? Well, right, LeBron right, wasn't right. asked that. He wasn't asked that. LeBron was asked to the effect of, um, you know, uh, to, you know, walk us through the last play. <laughs> and so, as much as I've gushed over LeBron during this broadcast, I do have a problem with his response because he put his coach underneath the boat, like underneath the bus. And throughout the season, Blatt has done some stuff. Blatt has done some stuff to draw negative attention um, to his inexperience as an NBA coach, to the NBA game. Um, and at times, LeBron has done things that has not helped that perception. And this, in my opinion, is a great example of him doing that. And he didn't have to put his coach under the bus, man. He tried to clean it up today, you know, when he was asked about the timeout question, he pretty much said, hey, I make mistakes, other guys make mistakes, and my teammates cover for me, and so, you know, we're not going to put the coach underneath the bus, blah, blah, blah. Man, that's the response that you should always get, you know. And I think that this is a good example of why championships – cloud our perception and bias. If LeBron had done this and said this before he won a championship, we would, like, that would have been as big as the Tom Brady story has been this week. Mm. Oh, you know what? LeBron's crying. LeBron, like, Jordan never would have done this. this and in some, in, in some way, I would have agreed with that. But because LeBron's won championships, he doesn't get, like, he gets the benefit of the doubt on stuff, which I'm fine with. But in my opinion, it's just, man, if you want to lead, you have to lead. And if Kyrie Irving said that, if uh, J.R. Smith said that, if Moscow said that, we'd all be raising our eyebrows of, like, you know what, get in line, man. This is a team here. Like, you are creating distractions. You're being a T.O. You're being a Terrell Owens. And I, I just had a major problem with that, man. I really did. As much as I am a fan of LeBron as a person and as a player, I just had a big problem with that. Mm. Well, that, that, that I can see where I can see where that problem would exist. I can see where that problem would exist. Um, yeah, I definitely can see that. I definitely understand. I can definitely understand that. Because um, yeah, that wasn't the question he was asked. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the question he was asked. Um, so again, you don't get this kind of analysis in real sports, guys. PhD, you've been on today. I just got to say this to you. That was I'm sitting back here just like he breaking this thing. Down. I just I just feel like I need to say that. I take that, man. You know, I'm the guy that I watch a game with you, and you know, I watch it with a Bulls fan. I'm a big Cavs fan, but I have no problem saying, man, that was a good move, Derek. Derek Rose made. I, I have no problem doing that. 
And so with LeBron, I got I to gotta talk about both sides of the coin, man. And that's, that's that unbiased. That's unbiased. That's impartial. That's that's how we like to be. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen out there in the world, that pretty much does it for this show. We're going to wrap it up. We do need to bring you the uh, Excel Academics last word. This last word will be brought to you by the Game Changer this week. So I'm going to take these last two minutes and lay it out there for the people. So, in sports, um, we we have this perception of what we think cheating to be. And the flake gates, bounty gates, steroid use in baseball, all of these things kind of contribute to how we understand what is cheating. And I'd like to make the delineation between cheating and gamesmanship. Gamesmanship is, is what we all do to try and gain that little um, advantage over our opponents. We try and find that edge. We do it because we do think it's going to give us an advantage. But in that, there are also gradients to when gamesmanship goes beyond just trying to outsmart your opponent, um, trying to outfox your opponent. And it goes to you're impacting the integrity of the game. What happened with the New England Patriots and what Tom Brady did with the, or supposedly did with the footballs, uh, deflating footballs, was not something that I think impacted the integrity of the game negatively. Um, I think all quarterbacks, all athletes have certain quirks about how they want their equipment, how they get dressed, how they prepare for a game, and how they like the environment for the for their competition. And as best you can, you try and manipulate the circumstances to your liking. Um, I don't think any, there's anything wrong with that. When you begin to alter yourself, your body, how you are created, um, that's where it becomes an issue. And that's why I'm all for keeping steroid users, founded or unfounded, suspected steroid users out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, I think that's a different level of compromise um, to the integrity of competition and I think that's an unacceptable level of compromise. And so that's how I see it playing out. So until next week, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio, catch in two weeks. Uh, we'll be back around time of the conference finals, uh, and we'll see you then. We'll check back in with you, give you our insight, our perspective, the and only – a way that the real sports guys can. Until next time, peace, take it easy, be safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.